So, you know, um, although for the last several years, I've been really sick of politics. I don't know about you, yeah. But it's kind of one of those things you can't escape. It's like that tropical storm Henri, right? It's like, oh, I wish I could get out of the path of this, but it just keeps overtaking me. And, uh, you know, um, hard to escape. So, for instance, if you bought gas on the way here, right, you dealt with politics. In other words, you dealt with the government, with gas taxes and all of that stuff. Uh, Second Baptist Church, we try to stay out of politics, but again, what about the fact that politics has to do with somebody's idea of right and wrong? So again, we can't escape it. So we don't, we're not partisan. We don't get in, go in on one side or the other, but we still need to address the moral issues of the day. So again, politics, how do we, how do we escape them? And, and uh, especially given the fact, and what we're going to talk about today, is that political concerns can often blind us to the truth and can inhibit our encounter with God. Because that's our series, right? Our sermon series is Encountering Jesus. And we want to encounter him for who he is. But oftentimes, political concerns, again, it keeps us from seeing Jesus and encountering Jesus. And I say this because, uh, you know, what's the definition of politics? Well, one of the definitions I looked up, it said, the activities associated with the governance of a country or other area, okay, so like gas tax and all sorts of things, especially the debate or conflict among individuals or parties having or hoping to achieve power. Having or hoping to achieve power. See, that's what gets us. If we place our hope in earthly power, and that's what we seek, that's what we find the answers, that's where we think we're going to find ultimate answers to, that's where we stop being able to see God's eternal truth. That's when we start to, instead of encountering Jesus, we're encountering other earthly powers, and they will always disappoint. And so that's what we're looking at today. And we've been, as we go through this Encountering Jesus series, um, we actually are fast-forwarding a bit. And Jesus, because we've been in the the Gospel of Luke, next week is our last um, sermon in this series, but we fast-forward quite a bit. And we come to Jesus, who's been arrested. He's been arrested by the chief priests. Okay, we're in Luke 23 today. And, and if, so if you want to turn there, you can. It'll be also be on the screens. But he's been arrested by the chief priests. And in that day, there's no such thing as separation of church and state. So the local, the local priests were also political figures. And they arrest Jesus and um, put him before a ruling council. And they have found him guilty of blasphemy. They, they say he's guilty of blasphemy because he claimed to be the son of God. Well, he did claim to be the son of God, but it wasn't blasphemy because it was true. But they find him guilty of that. And, but here's the thing, is they couldn't carry out the death penalty because at that time, uh, the geopolitical entity of Israel was, under, was being ruled by the geopolitical entity of Rome, the Roman Empire. And at that time, if they were going to carry out the death penalty, they needed permission from the, Ro- the Roman political authorities. So this uh, local council brings Jesus to the Roman governor named Pontius Pilate. Okay, so... Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. We could say he was in charge of piloting that area. You know, 
So, but what we're gonna see is that, so this politician, Pontius Pilate, he encounters Jesus. But ultimately, he succumbs to political interests over the truth, over, the, over justice, over, uh, over stepping into Jesus' promises. All right, so let's look. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 1. It says, Then the whole company of them, that's the, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, uh, arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, you have said so, which is a way of saying yes. Um, verse 4, then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching them throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, Pilate sent Jesus over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by Jesus. So Herod questioned Jesus at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him to Pilate. He sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. I want to stop there. We're going to continue reading, but I want to stop there. Pilate, he sends um, Jesus to Herod. Now, this is Herod Antipas. You might have heard of Herod the Great. Um, well, this is his son. So Herod the Great was around when Jesus was born. So in the birth narratives, it talks about Herod the Great. And the Herods were, they were local leaders. They were local kings. So again, the political arrangement as that time was that Rome was in charge, but they would often allow local leaders to rule the people. So that way there, it's not some strange foreigner uh, ruling over you, it's a more local person who also knows your interests. Well, when Herod the Great, he ruled all over Israel. Well, when he died, uh, his kingdom was divided in, uh, by his three sons. One of them was Antipas. And Antipas, he ruled over the area of Galilee. Okay. Well, the other son that was supposed to rule over Judea and Jerusalem, he wasn't very good at ruling. And so the Romans were tired of his uh, lack of competency. And so they took that away and um, appointed a governor, a Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, over that. So that's the political situation. And when Pilate hears that Jesus is from Galilee, he sees a political opportunity. He says, all right, well, maybe I can have to get, get away from this and, and, and put it on to Herod. But he also said, all right, if he's a part of Herod's sort of place, then if I send him and get his advice, that might um, 
help me politically. That might make Herod and I better friends, or at least political allies. And indeed, that's what happened, because it says that, G that um, Herod, uh, excuse me, Pilate sent him to Herod, and again, Herod after that and, and Pilate were at least political allies. But what's interesting is Jesus really didn't answer Herod, and so Herod kind of got mad and started to mock Jesus, but he didn't find anything wrong with him, just that he was sort of a religious idealist who wasn't saying anything. So he sent him back to Pilate. So we pick up in verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of, of any of your charges against him, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. That was a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time, Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. So that's the situation. So after Pilate, we know, after he gave in to the pressure, the political pressure, Jesus was led away to be crucified. And Jesus' death, it was a huge miscarriage of justice, and it was perpetrated by earthly political powers. The good news in this, though, is that God is still in control. No matter what earthly political powers think that they have control, God can even use their messed upness. <laughs> That's a word I just made up. Um, use their sin to, to advance his kingdom, to advance his purposes, because that's what goes on here. Yes, it's a huge miscarriage of justice, but Jesus gives his life as a sacrifice and opens up the doors to God's kingdom. So let's look. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Let's unpack these two politicians, because the title of the sermon is A Politician Encounters Jesus, but it's actually two politicians who encounter Jesus. Let's unpack this a little bit. So Herod, he was, I mean, the main guy here is Pilate, right? He's the main person, him and Jesus are the main characters in uh, this narrative, but, but Herod also shows up. Let's look at him. Herod, he had been wanting to encounter Jesus for some time. It says this, he wanted to see Jesus, he heard a lot about him, but Herod's interest in Jesus was not as Jesus is this religious teacher, he's a moral teacher, and I really want to know more about his teaching. It was more of a curiosity. I heard he did a lot of miracles, and so he wanted to see Jesus. But like many politicians, Herod made his own rules. The rules that applied to everybody else didn't apply to him. And John the Baptist, who was another religious teacher, had called Herod out because he was actually in a publicly incestuous relationship with Herodias, the princess Herodias. 
And Jesus, excuse me, John the Baptist said, hey, that's not right. You can't be doing that. And Herod says, hey, who are you? You're just some lower, you know, some low-class prophet. So he had John the Baptist beheaded. But that's what politicians often do, is that there's this truth, but it doesn't necessarily apply to them. Truth is for other people. And so when John the Baptist confronted Herod about it, because Herod, again, he was half Jewish. He, was, he should be following this law. But what he was doing was even wrong, immor- it was even immoral um, in the Romans' eyes. So John calls him out, and he has him killed. See, earthly political power produces pride so that the powerful often think that they can bend the truth. Again, that the truth is not above them, that nothing's really above them, right? That they are above the truth. So Herod, though, despite all of his power, he's trying to get Jesus to perform a miracle. Jesus not only doesn't perform a miracle, he didn't even say a word. And that, so, and that kind of humiliates Herod. Because hey, if, if Herod tells someone to do something, they're supposed to do it. But Jesus says nothing. And so Herod ends up being like a middle school bully and mocks Jesus. It's interesting. So we have a politician, Herod Antipas, encounter the king of kings, he encounters Jesus, the one who one day Herod will kneel before Jesus when he is, on the, he is proclaimed as the king of kings, he's on the throne of judgment, and he ironically mocks Jesus for claiming to be a king. And you know, as I read this story, it's, it's, it's kind of tempting to be kind of triumphant and say, ha ha, Herod, you'll get yours. But really, it should cause our hearts more to grieve because there's still many Herods among us and there are still m- many Herod attributes in each one of us. And the fact that we stand, we're gonna stand before Jesus and, and be judged by, by him. Did we put our own interests above his? Did we mock those who followed him? I wonder if when he stands before Christ, when Herod stands before Christ, if Christ is just going to be silent for a while. You know, just as he was silent when Herod was above him. But one day we will all stand before him. But the pride of power and the pride of politics blinds Herod to both the truth of his own actions, right, being wrong, but also it keeps him from a life-changing encounter with Jesus. But now let's look at the other politician, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate's job as the governor, a Roman governor, was mostly to uphold Roman authority, you know, to collect taxes, and the other big thing was to keep the peace. Like, that was his main job, was to keep the peace. And he would murder as many people as he needed to keep the peace. All right, that's a little quote from John Cena in a new movie, if any of you have seen that. But anyways, that's what he would do, right? It, it didn't matter. Like, that was his main job. And Pilate, he didn't think Jesus did anything worthy of death. He didn't think Jesus did anything wrong. That becomes clear. 
But he also didn't think he was truly the king of kings. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done what he did. And while Pilate didn't think Jesus did anything worthy of death, all of Pilate's decisions were framed by the dynamics of power and governance, right? Truth, mm, that was not as important because he substituted truth. He left truth when it wasn't politically expedient. And so the Jewish leaders, they knew how to play the political game. They framed things as, as all right, Jesus, he is opposing our political interests, Pontius Pilate, and therefore he's opposing your political interests. And they persuade Pilate by appealing to his fears, his fears of losing power, that the emperor would not be happy, that he allowed some religious idealist to disturb the peace because his job was to keep the peace. So Pilate gave in to these political leaders. He put politics over truth, and he saw Jesus as a pawn in a political game and not the true king. And so like countless politicians after him, Pilate saw Jesus as a means to a political end. And in this case, Pilate sold out Jesus. He sold out the truth to keep his power. So those are two politicians who encountered Jesus. Now I know that's kind of a downer, right? Normally during this Encountering Jesus series, right? Jesus, someone encounters Jesus. He heals them. Their life is changed. They step into the eternal kingdom. This one's more of a warning. It's more of a downer. Because Herod and Pilate, they both encounter Jesus, but they don't step into the promises of his kingdom. Instead, earthly concerns, earthly ideas of power blind them and then keep them from stepping into that kingdom. So, as we look at this story, because remember, every encounter we say, all right, well, how does that, how should that inform my encounter with Jesus? You might think, I'm not a politician, so, you know, how does this apply? Well, again, you and I live in, rel in, in relation to all sorts of political systems, and one of the blessings of democracy is that we actually have a little bit of influence, right? We can participate in the political process. But here's the danger, here's the temptation of that, is that we can then be more susceptible to attach ourselves and our identity to earthly political power. We can start to see our hope, especially if we're participating in it, our hope as in earthly power, earthly influence. That, yeah, maybe we, we have to get together with other people and we'll pool our influence, but the, the temptation is therefore we see that as our ultimate hope. We start to focus on earthly power and we start to lose that focus on the kingdom power, on God's power. So that's the, that's the temptation, that hope in, in earthly power, that influence, and then we seek it out. And this can blind us to the truth. It can blind us to the truth if we put our identity in any earthly political sphere because then we start to, instead of seeing the world and, and reading the things that are going around us through the biblical lens, through the, the lens of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, we start to look at issues and things around us from a political lens, a political party or political candidate. And that's when we stop seeing the truth. That's when we are inhibited to stepping into an encounter with Jesus. And I will tell you why. So how? How can a political concerns keep us from seeing the truth? 
Well, again, our frame of reference is not taken from God or his word, but from human power structures and human philosophies. Instead of Christ and the Bible being the lens through which we see the world and make judgments, we start to actually read scripture through our political concerns. We actually start to find things in scripture that are not there, that the author never intended to be there, but yet our political affiliation tells us, oh, they're there. I think the most jarring and startling example that I've ever seen of this is when in my studies I read a lot of sermons from, uh, from the South during the Civil War period, all right? Pastors who were preaching in, for instance, Louisiana. And if you read some of their sermons, right, some of you are like, oh, they're talking about Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm with that. But then, for instance, there was one uh, famous preacher, the Reverend Benjamin Morgan Palmer, First Presbyterian Church in New Orleans. He famously gave a sermon where he said that it was God's will, that God had providentially set up the Southern Confederacy to, quote, conserve and to perpetuate the institution of domestic slavery as now existing. So in other words, he was saying, yeah, it is God's will for the South to rise. That's why he established us. And then he would take, he would go into scripture, and how does he justify this? He would go into scripture and he says, you know what? You know the curse that Noah gave to Ham? So remember, Noah, after the flood, he had three, three uh, sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham did something not so nice to Noah. So Noah pronounced a curse on him. And so he said, hey, you know what? The descendants of Ham, those are the people from Africa. So they should be cursed. You see the kind of things when you take scripture and you read it through a political lens, you can find anything in there. And that is why it is so important to know the word and to use scripture to look at things instead of the other way around. Because here we had the Confederacy, right? These Confederate preachers. And we're not just talking, we're talking like hundreds of preachers, thousands of people saying that the Bible says something where it actually says the opposite, right? I mean, look, at the image of God, every human being is made in the image of God. When we look at the book of Revelation, where the God's kingdom is fully and finally established, what do we see? People of every tongue, tribe, and nation around the throne of glory, right? Not just Europeans. Every tongue, tribe, and nation or what about there is no longer any dividing line between Jew and Gentile, all ethnic divisions of the kingdom of Christ are done away with? What about the Ethiopian eunuch, one of the first converts to Christianity? I think he's from Ethiopia. So, or the fact that Jesus was a Palestinian Jew. He was not some European, wasn't American. And so here we have a huge group of people because of political concerns, cannot see the truth. And in fact, they're arguing the opposite. So I'm not, so why do I bring this up? It's not like, oh yeah, Pontius Pilate and Herod, they allow, you know, political concerns to not make, make them so they can't see the truth, but that doesn't happen today. No, it still happens. It happened 150 years ago, and it still goes on today. Almost every politician will put in certain Christian buzzwords so that our ears perk up. They'll gather with Christian leaders. They'll, they'll show, like, oh, see, I'm one of you, in order not to glorify Jesus, 
but to gain political power. So how do we keep this from happening? Know the word. Know the word of God. The whole thing. The whole thing. That's why I preach exegetically or um, um, expositorily, if you will. Meaning that I, I don't just take a scripture out of context and say, oh, see, I'm going to tell you this so that you feel good today. I want you to feel good. I want you to feel pumped, but I want you to do it based on the word of God. Not some catchphrase that I yanked out and then am using scripture to kind of support it. No, that's why we look at the context. That's why I, I, I kind of explain to you, all right, this is what's going on, so that we understand what the original authors were saying, what the Holy Spirit has inspired to say. Because the scripture is not for us to be used as a tool to support our preconceived political ideas or any ideas. Rather, we're supposed to be changed by the scripture. The scripture is the filter. So know it. Understand it. The other thing that politics often obscures our encounter with Jesus is that because politics is about earthly power, right? And it's about using uh, Jesus or religion as a means to an end. But here's the thing. You can't encounter Jesus for who he really is if you think Jesus is a means to an end, right? That Jesus, if I get Jesus, everybody wants Jesus on their side. So if I get Jesus on my side, then I'll look better. My arguments will be stronger, you see, that's using Jesus as a means to your political end or whatever. But Jesus is not the means to the end. I mean, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end, right? He is the end. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to uh, enjoy him forever. And so when we start to use Jesus or use the scriptures for some other purpose, we've immediately stopped encountering the real Jesus. We've stopped encountering the king of kings. And instead, we're like Pilate, using Jesus for some other purpose. And so we need to understand that. How do we keep this from happening? Well, that's why we need to, whenever we pray together, we should be praising God. Our, if, we, if our idea of prayer, and you might think, where does prayer have to do this? If our idea of prayer is just asking God to do stuff for us, well, that's seeing God as a means to an end, right? That's seeing Jesus as a means to get what I want. That's why it's so important when we pray to start out praising God for who he is. It's recognizing God. It's, uh, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed, revered be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's why the, the Lord's Prayer starts out with centering us on who God is. That's why when we pray, it can't just be a laundry list of stuff. It has to be an acknowledgement of who God is. And that starts to change our hearts. The other thing that keeps us from doing this is, is is gathering together as believers. We need accountability to one another. Because if, and, and what's good is if we're in a church that has of different, of various political views and various backgrounds, we help check one another. So that if we're blind to something, a brother or sister in Christ who's from a, a different background can say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Are, are, you, are you sure? <laughs> Let's look at this together. So we need one another to keep from being blinded. And you know, I think the final point, and I know Henri is coming, so I, I gotta stop, um, that we can get from this scripture 
And I think this is the, the good news of it, because maybe what I've said has gotten you down. Right? Like, oh, yeah, politics ruins everything, and we can't get out of it, and, and all of this stuff. Well, but also look, that the good news is that God can even use human sin to advance his salvation plan. So yes, if I'm going to tell you straight up, if you put your hope in any political entity you're, you're on earth, your hope is going to run out because those things end. Every politician dies, every political party ends, every nation ends, but the kingdom of God is eternal. And so if you put your hope in any earthly things, it will disappoint. But here's the thing, even if you put your faith in God's kingdom, again, that, that kingdom is not fully and finally established. So earthly political situations, they're going to get you down. So what, what's going on in Afghanistan? Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. But the good news is that God can even use human sin, human individual choices to further his plan and geopolitical um, sin to advance his plan. That's what happened with Herod. Herod and Pilate and the local authorities crucified, tortured the king of glory. Again, I can't think of any more heinous or unjust act than that, and yet God was using that to bring about the furtherance of his kingdom. That's the good news. So that if you're down today and you're, you're like, I'm so tired of politics, understand that God will even use the bad to advance his plan. Because yes, God has given us sovereignty, so free will, dominion, whatever, uh, over our sphere, and he's given earthly governments, you know, the dominion and sovereignty over their spheres, but all of that falls under the umbrella of his authority and will so that he can even use our bad choices, the bad choices of governments all over the place to advance his kingdom. The Apostle Peter said this just quickly, Acts chapter 2, verse 22, 50 days after Jesus' death, right? This is the day of Pentecost. Peter had seen the risen Christ. Now he's able to see all the things that God has done, even through the terrible injustice of Christ's crucifixion, because Jesus is raised from the dead. And this is what he says, right? He's preaching. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Right? The lawless men, Pontius Pilate and Herod. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. So here, Peter is looking back, and he's seeing how it all comes together. And he's saying, yeah, all right, yes, you were wrong. You were unjust. You crucified the Lord of glory, but it was a part of God's plan, and he actually used your wrongdoing, your sin, to advance his plan. That's how amazing God is. That's the power of God, where the last will be first and the first will be last. That's the eternal kingdom where we can step into those things if we recognize Jesus for who he is. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we step into that truth and we cling to that truth, that's when we start to see the truth. That's when we start to see things from God's perspective. That's when we start to interpret everything in life based on the truth, the unchanging, eternal truth of God's word and not just political things that come and go. So that's the good news. And the good news is that you can be a part of that kingdom. 
that if you've never before stepped into faith in Christ and said yes to Jesus, he wants to be your king. He wants to be your sovereign where, yes, even all the things you've done, the wrong things, and we sang about that, Lord, forgive me, we can step into his forgiveness because he died for that. That is a truth worth living for. That is a truth worth making all your decisions based on. But political things and and stuff like that, they're always going to be temporary and deceptive. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray for your wisdom and your guidance on this issues. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, help that truth to be so strong in our hearts that we seek you first. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us how we've used your word as a means to an end. We used you as a means towards an end. But Lord, you are the beginning and the end. We acknowledge that. Lord, we pray that what we do, what we say, and what we think would be aligned with that truth because we want to encounter you for who you are, not encounter a God or a Jesus in our own making, not encounter a Jesus that conforms to a political party, but the real Jesus, Lord, you for who you really are. So work that among us. Cause us to step into that truth and live by it. In Jesus' name. Amen.